Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021, and today we're going to be answering the following three questions. How excited should you be regarding the State Department's new visa policy? Second, can you grow without international student services? And third, how are you talking about vaccine mandates to your incoming students? We'll talk about those three questions and more on today's Midweek Roundup as we get going into some robust discussion today. For those that are new to the Roundup, uh, we take the topics and questions that we cover each Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We take those from our newsletter that comes out on Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern. You can subscribe to that free of charge at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe, and you just fill out a quick form. We get you added to the mailing list, and you'll get that Monday morning each week. Uh, we also, uh, I'm dropping a link to the most recent edition of the, of the newsletter in the comments section on our Facebook page for SMIE Consulting. Uh, we also uh, have those, you can watch us live. If you're not watching us live, you're watching on repeat on our Facebook page or on our YouTube channel. Uh, we also have a podcast version, audio-only podcast version of the Roundup that you can download and listen to when you're working out, while you're just needing a break from uh, the, your email, whatever it might be. Uh, we hope that uh, these conversations are edifying you in terms of how you can potentially adapt uh, your international education uh, policies to meet the needs of your current and future students. So that's what we'll talk about today. Let's get right to the first question. How excited should you be about the new State Department policy regarding visa interviews uh, and waiving those for students in certain circumstances? Let's, let me start by saying this is not a game changer. Uh, this is not a permanent solution, uh, at least the way it's uh, written now. It's not the uh, silver bullet that we're, we're, we're hoping to come to suddenly solve all of our enrollment uh, woes. What it is, is a temporary fix for a problem that has been growing throughout this pandemic. And what I'll talk about as the way I, uh, way I discuss the impact of this change, which is a positive one to be sure, and will impact students that are looking to come in January. Uh, we're talking about a situation that is kind of have been building for a while. And ever since the pandemic began, we were in a situation where consulates and embassies uh, were forced to close in March of 2020. And many are still either closed or permanent are offering emergency visa appointments only outside of a, a two or three key markets, uh, particularly India and China, that have had visas consulates open for at least, uh, at least since May or June. Uh, to, pre to process huge volumes of uh, visa applicants for uh, this coming fall. Now, what's important to keep in mind here is uh, you, an understanding of how consulates and embassies fund their consular officer staff. Uh, consular officers that do the interviews are basically uh, the first year, second year uh, foreign service officers after they graduate the uh, uh, through go, go through their foreign service training, uh, now their first post overseas, first two two posts overseas, typically will be heavily based on visa interviews. That's what they do. They spend their days doing, oftentimes hundreds of interviews in a given day with prospective students and other visa applicants. 
that those interviews that they do in person, the fee revenue that they generate from the DS-160, for example, the non-immigrant visa application that all students but other all non-immigrant visa categories would complete before they go for their interview, those revenues are what allow uh, the consulates and embassies to staff at the appropriate levels um, for the need that they're, they're, they're going to have. The challenge is they're what they do in, like for example, in f fiscal year 20, uh, or fiscal year, yeah, fiscal year 2020 that started in October of 2019 through to September of 2020, only half of that year were most of consulates and embassies actually open for business. As a result, that since more than half of the total visas that are processed each year come in the summer months at a time when these consulates and embassies were closed in 2020, 2021's budget for fiscal year 2021, that's October 2020 through currently end of September 2021, uh, that year uh, was less than half of what previous years would have been in terms of the funding that they had available to have staff in place to do visa interviews. That on top of the of pandemic's impact on staff being able to get back into the country, on uh, their ability to actually open for business uh, for interviews, that was all uh, significant, have been significant challenges that have really limited the capacity of consulates and embassies to do visa appointments. In some countries, uh, they are still closed and emergency only. Uh, so this process uh, and this announcement by State Department last week, that basically means it's a, it's a short-term solution. And when I say that short-term, it's only approved through the end of December that this policy would allow for students in three categories to be exempt from, require, uh, exempt from having to have a visa interview. So those three categories are one that had already been approved as of last year, uh, those students that had uh, left the country when the pandemic first closed everything down, but had been continuing their status, maintaining their status online from their home country, uh, that has and perhaps would be looking to come back either this fall or this spring. Uh, those students uh, were already exempted from having to go for a visa interview when they needed to renew their visas because they already had an initial visa because they went home and weren't able to get back in because visa embassies and consulates and borders were closed. So that's the first group. The second group are those that have had a previous U.S. visa. Now that could be a visitor visa, that could be a student visa for high school, maybe they've been home for a couple years, but they had been previously approved for a, a visa, not any particular category, but it could be a, a tourist visa. Uh, they would also be, uh, could be waived from that in-person visa uh, interview requirement. The third category are students that are coming or applying for a, a visa from uh, a student visa from Visa Waiver Program countries, VWP. Uh, that list is 40 plus countries, primarily European countries, major allies around the world. Uh, ones outside of Europe, there's a, maybe a, a hand, half dozen or so. Uh, Singapore, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and I think Chile and Brunei are on that list. So those countries, uh, plus these European uh, European allies, are those that are would be in this scenario of a third, third group 
that would be exempt from doing an in-person interview. That's obviously welcome news because if you have students from those countries, uh, there are uh, top sending nations in that, in, in that list, Britain, France, uh, Germany, uh, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan are obviously top senders in the top uh, 20 sending countries to the U.S., so that would be good news. But the biggest ones, uh, India, China, are not on this list. So there, there certainly is, are, is positives to be taken from this message. There are caveats here that uh, it is only through the end of the calendar year, and it is only for, and it is at the discretion of the local consulates and embassies. So if conditions don't allow them to do this, uh, uh, then that's then they won't move ahead with it. But the the thinking is that if if the students meet these or any visa applicant meets these criteria, the likelihood is that they are going to be able to benefit from this. So that's that's certainly the positive. Uh, it is though a challenge because it is only for a limited time, window of, of time to kind of get, our, get us over the hump for, for, the, for the spring term. Because when you think about it, we now have three groups of students that potentially could be accessing this benefit. You have those returning students who uh, haven't been back to the U.S. yet, that haven't been able to get a visa interview in person, that would be able to benefit from that, who might, we're trying to come in the fall, still can couldn't get that in-person interview, are now going to be able to do that and get here, hopefully uh, get their visa approved, uh, paperwork approved before they need to come in January. Uh, you have the group that uh, maybe deferred uh, last year uh, or began their classes online last year, who are now looking to come in person, still weren't able to come in person this fall because of flights and uh, getting that visa interview, are hopefully are now going to be able to benefit from that for the spring. Uh, again, that's uh, only, again, in those cases where they have either previously been approved for a U.S. visa, it doesn't matter which type, or uh, they are uh, from one of those visa waiver program countries. Uh, those, those students who started online last year, began their studies online, but uh, haven't been able to get into the country yet because of visa appointment access, they're going to be able to benefit. Then you also have students that maybe... Um, have uh, are, are are weren't looking originally for fall. They were looking for spring, uh, and this is their opportunity to kind of get in and have one less hurdle for them to clear uh, in this long process to become an international student in the U.S. So there's some definite positives. It's not a no, not a negative thing, other than it only being for a limited duration of time, and that's something that um, both the Pi News article certainly may, does, doesn't really highlight that in particular. Uh, but that's certainly the, one, of the, one of the caveats that is um, one, uh, one thing that uh, we you certainly want to, to keep in mind here. It's only, yeah, it is only through the end of 2021. And if you've been issued a, pre a visa previously, it has to be, um, uh, yeah, that uh, they can, even if you were, uh, even if they're less than 14 years old for their previous visa, if their family came on a vacation one time, uh, at that time, um, I think that would be that we haven't we weren't in the position. And the reason why they say less than 14 years ago, uh, we didn't weren't capturing biometrics uh, then, so they would need to, or since then, uh, so they would need to then uh, do that piece. But they could still be exempt from the interview. So th there, are these countries uh, that are members of the visa waiver program uh, set. Uh, those roughly 40 countries, they're going to benefit most, uh, most directly from this. And that's encouraging because in many of those places, the consulates and embassies aren't physically open yet because of local conditions. So that will allow them 
to really uh, work through a lot of the backlog that's built up for students that haven't been able to physically get interviews yet. So there's a lot of, lot of potential progress in that the, the likelihood is there will be huge, probably one of the bigger, the most significant January intake uh, will come this year because of, uh, or in early 2022, because of this uh, new policy that the State Department's rolled out. So that's a lot, that's a lot of positives there. Uh, and in, in terms of getting through some of the backlog of students that are trying to get to campus, some of which have already been enrolled on campus, either returning students, uh, those that started online in 2020, uh, or those that are looking to get in new. Uh, so there's there's a lot of uh, positives to to be gained here. So we're going to be uh, really excited to see hopefully bumper classes in January coming into uh, U.S. institutions. If you can, and again, how you communicate these changes uh, so that your future your future students are aware that this is an option now. Uh, you can't can't under communicate when it comes to. Uh, you better not under-communicate and you can't over-communicate the importance of these kind of messages to your prospective student audiences. So make sure you're getting a plan in place now to get that message out regarding the new visa policy. Whatever uh, the makeup of your incoming classes are or those that have deferred or those are interested in maybe finally coming in person, let them know this important information yesterday. This is really critical, but make sure you're taking a, you're, you're able to put all of this into um, understandable chunks because there are caveats involved. You have to do it before December 31st. You have to have either already been issued, a, uh, if you're not in a visa waiver program country, you had to have already been issued a visa, a U.S. visa at some point in order to meet, to get into on this, uh, this kind of exemption for the uh, visa interview. You still have to apply for your visa, but you wouldn't have to go for the in-person interview if you're in those two cases. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a lot of the positive uh, that I think can come out of this if it's communicated effectively. So make sure that you you have the, the, this messaging going out to your incoming students, uh, prospective students, so that they're aware. And again, it's a it's a, a limited window of students that are looking to come in the spring, but it's only for those right now that are eligible to come in the spring that that could benefit from this. So make sure that that's that's communicated quickly to any prospective students that are in that in those in those uh, country and criteria, um, potential criteria groups that we're talking about here. Next topic, our next question, can you grow without strong international student services? And this is something that I think for me, I talk about this uh, with any university or college client I'm dealing with, I always start with this conversation. How about how are you taking care of your current students? Because and what's the what's the evidence of that? What are those services? Uh, are you doing student satisfaction surveys, exit surveys for your current students, so that you have a sense on how well you're doing? Um, because when it comes right down to it, you could have a huge budget to, for recruitment to travel uh, when we could travel and when we may one, once again be able to do that. You could have uh, a very slick uh, digital online presence that draws a lot of students in. Uh, but you could have all of that, all those bells and whistles on the front end of the process. But unless you have the services in place to take care of those students well while they're here, it doesn't matter how much you have available on that front end if you're not taking care of your current students. 
And this is kind of one-on-one for any, anybody who's in enrollment management. You realize enrollment management is not just getting them in the front door. It's taking care of them once they're on campus and managing them through their time that they're enrolled on your campus. Uh, that's why retention offices became so critical in the 90s and early 2000s. This is why you have focus paid on retention rates, uh, perseverance rates, persistence rates, and obviously graduation rates. Uh, that you focus now on outcomes more than you ever did before as an institution in terms of documenting uh, what your graduates do uh, percentage-wise, how many have jobs within six months of graduation in their field of study, how many go on to graduate school. You want to know those outcomes uh, and be able to document that. Um, and that's proof of the pudding that is your services, is the education that they, they receive on your college campus. So how you talk about that, how you talk about those services you have matters in terms of uh, and what services you actually uh, provide for prospective students, but also more importantly, current students, because we all know your current students are your best recruiters. The flip side of that is they can be your worst nightmare if you don't take care of them. Because if they have bad experiences, go home and tell their friends, oh my goodness, they, uh, I had this, these negative things happen to me, don't go to this college. That's going to have much longer term negative impact than having one student stay and be treated well and graduate and, uh, and have uh, the negative. It's always harder to overcome the negative than it is to uh, retain that or generate that positive. But if you're not generating that positive outcome uh, and have those services in place, uh, it doesn't matter what you do on the front end because you, you're just going to churn and burn. Uh, when you have the, bring in big classes, they come in, have bad experiences, and then leave and have negative, um, negative feedback that they're providing back home. And when you think about this, I've been on a college campus where uh, we had a student that came over, uh, and at the time, I uh, just joined the univers this university. They didn't have health insurance as a requirement for their international students. New student within the first week or two of classes, uh, he died um, uh, unexpectedly. Uh, no one expects to do it, but he died. Um, and his he did not have health insurance. And his family had, did not have repatriation or funding to pay for to bring his body back home. And as a result, the university stepped up and realized this was a need that we needed to meet, uh, that we needed to help this family get this, their son and daughter, their son, back home. Uh, and that's something the university committed to. They, they obviously recognized that this is a, a human need that we have, we have to be there for this family. Uh, and that we, there were fundraisers held on campus to raise money to send this, uh, this student back home. And that was a huge, uh, huge undertaking for the university uh, and recognition of a need that was there. Uh, that has also led to changes in our policy, in an institutional policy where uh, health insurance was, th was then required and that uh, everybody would have repatriation insurance as part of their, uh, part of their commitment to uh, or their time on, in the United States. And it also led to a lot of goodwill because that one act of this un incredibly unfortunate and terrible situation, student dying and having to and having to send their body back home before they can even finish their degree or even start their degree, really, uh, that led to a lot of goodwill in that country where that student was from, because the, his family and the students that certainly were here that were part of that those fundraising efforts, they shared with their friends that hey, 
this uh, this university stepped up. They really took care of the students it, uh, and the parent the parents uh, helped get the, that student back home. In the, in the worst tragic situation you can imagine, but that uh, that highlighted the need of compa of services that are made for the students that you're 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 trying to trying to recruit and convince that you are the place for them and that you will take care of them. Uh, that there are obviously a lot of examples like this. Uh, I have one university, another negative uh, story that was turned into a positive, uh, or is being turned into a positive. Uh, that during the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, there were a group of students in their residence halls that got stuck. Uh, they couldn't get out. Uh, they were 70 of them, in fact. Uh, and they were actually forced to quarantine in their residence hall for a period. And the meal service shut down. Uh, the most, most of the campus was, had gone on all nine and it wasn't, wasn't really very active in terms of staffing on campus. So they were, they were kind of stuck. The international office realized that they didn't have the services in place to take care of these students, so they worked with the with the student affairs folks and the housing folks to come up with a plan to take care of these students. And as a result, feedback from uh, focus groups we've done with those students has been largely positive and that, hey, the university's taking care of us. Uh, they uh, recognized the needs that we had. Uh, they uh, figured out some way to make it work for us. And then since then, uh, the university has also organized trips for this group to the Grand Canyon, to, uh, uh, to Hoover Dam and other places nearby that they could then uh, have that kind of break and, and get back to a little bit normality uh, and enjoy, enjoy their time in the United States as opposed to being stuck in a residence hall where they don't know anybody other than the other 70 international students that were with them. So meeting those needs, the, uh, when, they have, when, that, when a crisis happens, you certainly need to do that. And that's just kind of um, the humanity of what we do in, in education. We want to be there for our students and meet their needs. When, uh, those, are, those are kind of the extreme examples, but those are the, those are the real ones that will have longer-term benefits. Uh, but you think about it, when you have uh, services in place that meet ne uh, the needs ahead of time, uh, uh, whether it be social, whether it be cultural, whether it be religious needs and uh, uh, emotional needs, uh, conversational needs that they they're going to have, and just need to be assured of what's what's happening, uh, that they're in a, they're in a safe space, uh, that they are going to be welcomed on their on your campus by actually walking the talk is so important for when they see your messaging meet the reality of campus life, uh, and if you have those organizations that help care for them while they're students, that help meet their various needs, that help provide outlets for them uh, to express themselves and, uh, and express their culture, uh, to get support when they need it, uh, whether it's their English uh, spo spoken ability or if they have various needs uh, that the university has uh, designated services for them. That makes the difference. There's a couple articles that I'll point out here, a university business piece uh, talking about what a lot of those, how you're communicating value of services to future students and what that looks like. There's also a couple of articles, one from Australia, one from Canada, that both reference the importance of having structured support services for international students and how the pandemic has certainly highlighted these needs more than ever before. And I think that it's it's changing the focus of a number of uh, institutions that realize, hey, if we don't take care of our current students, uh, it's not going to, it's going to negatively impact our future, uh, future earnings, uh, number of, particularly in Australia, where that seems to be very much the, the bottom line for, for many of these schools. 
is if, if we don't take care of our current students, it's now going to have financial implications on our institution long term uh, beyond the pandemic. But as a result of the pandemic, that is now being highlighted. So because there are a number of students that were, were who didn't leave that had situations where they weren't able to work, uh, where that they felt were in lockdown, basically, for and some in some places have gone back into lockdown in Australia. Uh, as a result of what's happened with the rise of Delta there. So there's so many things that can be impacted. Uh, Canadian graduate uh, doctoral students at Concordia University in Montreal has argued that in this Pi News article that international students have experienced physically, financially, and emotionally challenging obstacles during the pandemic. And that some, uh, some institutions, many institutions, didn't have the services in place to meet those needs where those students were. And that has implications, as I mentioned, uh, positively and negatively, depending on how your institution responds to those needs. So that takes a, a toll. On, the pandemics has taken a, a huge toll on everybody, uh, some more than others. But in terms of how it's changed uh, how people act and it's changed how people think and changed their comfort level with interacting with the wider world. I think that there are, if there aren't responses in place that to help you identify uh, and needs ahead of time or and can anticipate these needs and or if, if nothing else, meet those needs once they arise and are vocalized, you uh, are, are, your institution is, is, is headed for some troubling times. You may already be in those situations. That's why you're listening and looking for those answers. But hopefully we can provide some ways to, to connect the dots really and to have the conversations ahead of time that are focused on being service oriented and being driven by the kinds of things that you can and should be doing for international students to help better prepare them for the world out, uh, for the obviously the new world that they're living in, being on your campus, taking classes at the dur still during a pandemic, and but also preparing them for those outcomes uh, that uh, you want them to have when they're done, either returning home, well prepared for a career in whatever they're choosing, preparing them for graduate school here in the U.S., or preparing them for jobs here in the U.S., and having that, uh, those services in place to meet those needs, to get them ready for it, and be, uh, paint the picture for them about what life what the realities are going to be for them. So the more that you're able to do that with your services uh, on the, during, for your current students, it will help your, these students as they graduate, but it will also help inform your prospective students on the kind of uh, commitment you have to helping them get where they want to be in their lives through your institution. So that's the second question. The third one is one that is obviously also a very relevant, timely topic. Uh, about vaccine mandates uh, and how are you talking about vaccine mandates, whether you have one or not, or if you have some variation, we strongly recommend, whatever it may be, what are those new policies going to look like? There are a number of schools that have just implemented a vaccine mandate this fall term, uh, either had one right before school began, they implemented a vaccine mandate. There were probably 800, 900 schools that had done that before the school year began. We're now over 1,000 colleges and universities in the U.S. that now have vaccine mandates. I think that number is only going to grow, particularly in light of the Biden administration's new vaccine mandate for any business or company that has more than 100 employees. That uh, is, many are interpreting, will impact all colleges and universities in one way or another, even if their states don't have a, a particular requirement themselves, they would then need to um, they, they would need, need to have some sort of policy in place 
uh, unless their states prohibit that, and there's going to be some legal battles, I'm sure. But many universities now, particularly public universities, feel that they have cover uh, to to implement a vaccine mandate because of the Biden administration's new uh, new mandate themselves. So we'll see what that looks like. But what I bring this up to to highlight again communication. Uh, how are you communicating your vaccine mandate plans, not just to your current students, which is important, obviously, they're the ones that are dealing with that and what that will look like, but to your incoming students. Now, we have, we've had two issues come up in the last couple of weeks. The vaccine mandate that the Biden administration uh, uh, announced two weeks ago, and then this new State Department visa, visa waiver, uh, interview waiver uh, policy, what that looks like. Uh, these are two things that if your campus has recently introduced a vaccine mandate or will be before a certain date, before the spring term begins, these are two things that you cannot over communicate to your prospective students, to students that are looking to come in January. This is mission critical for you right now. You gotta be communicating to your current students. Obviously, you, you, that's, they need to know that now effective X date, you need to be uh, vaccinated before you can have continue in in-person classes. For your incoming students, the issue is are, are twofold. Uh, how will the visa waiver program impact these students that would need to be vaccinated before they can begin studies here? And for those that can't get a vaccine before they come, what's the window of opportunity for them to get vaccinated after they arrive before classes begin? We know in international education, international students have 30 days that they can enter the United States before their program start date on their I-20s. And that, that month is now the window that if you have recently introduced a vaccine mandate, your incoming international students need to know about. They need to know first if they can get a vaccine from their home country before they come, is it going to be acceptable? One institution I'm working with, we just had a meeting this past week where I had all the relevant people around the table virtually to have a discussion on uh, what is our policy going to look like and how will it impact international students that are looking to start in January. Uh, with that 30-day window, the university is now giving students options. Uh, they're saying that uh, you, if you want to take the Moderna v uh, vaccine, you will need to be in the United States no later than 29 days before the first day of class, so that on the 28th day, you can get your uh, first shot in the Moderna series, and then on the first day of class, you can get your second shot, because you've got a 28-day gap between shots. If you want the Pfizer shot, you can be here 21 days or 22 days before, you must be in the U.S. on campus 22 days before uh, the uh, start of class, so you can get the first and second shots in before classes begin. But if you can't make it one of those earlier times, you have the Johnson & Johnson shot, the one shot deal that if you make it to campus uh, you have basically uh, you can arrive two days before school starts get your shot the day before and then you'll be good to go for the school year so that is the that that meeting went through all the all the different iterations of what this policy would look like it also thought about how the visa waiver program uh, would uh, interview waiver would would impact students uh, and how that might uh, speed up the process for students from these certain countries so that's a that's a lot of information to communicate but they had to a, a window of time within a couple hours I had all the people around the table that needed to make the decisions and could then move forward and put together uh, an announcement get have that voted on by those that were there 
and everybody agreed basically this is what we need to do. Uh, get an initial message out that, hey, we have this requirement coming out. We are going to be able to get you vaccinated even if you can't get one before you arrive. So they, they're getting that message out, but they're going to come up with the specifics uh, shortly after that as it impacts registration before they arrive as well for classes. So all of that's come down as a result of this institution realizing we need to communicate this to our future students or our incoming students right away because it is a priority. It will make or break the spring class depending on how well you communicate this to the, to the students, that three groups of students that you might be dealing with that are looking to come to campus in the spring. So talking about these things can never be over-talked, but it, it must be communicated effectively and it must be communicated often and it must be communicated in a timely manner and that means not waiting it's making the hard decisions now and deciding who's going to be responsible for what if you can do that you're going to be ahead of the game when it comes to the spring class so that's all we have for you today on the roundup we appreciate you sticking with us for this live episode on wednesdays at 1 p.m eastern and we look forward to chatting with you about these topics and more in the days and weeks to come thanks for joining us cheers <music>